has been addressed to a specific person, we will ask that specific person. If it has not been addressed to a specific person, we'll put it out for the panel. You guys know Phil, you know Nate, you know Papa John, and uh, most of you should know Brother Eric, and he's here. I've asked him to join us on the panel today. Most of you don't know this, Brother Eric works behind the scenes at al almost everything that happens around here. And he is a huge help in making sure that things run. Um, the very fact that a bus was able to come around and pick you up, yes, Mr. Joe's the one that organized making sure that the bus came, but Mr. Uh, Brother Eric is the one who organized to make sure there was fuel in that bus. A and that happens all the time. And those are, that's just a small glimpse into the big things that he does around here. And let's just give him a big thank you. With uh, no further ado, we have three major categories. One is theological questions. One is personal fun questions. And one is personal questions that have to do with your faith. Um, and so I'll just start here. Uh, this one is addressed to all uh, all of the above. Now, it, it does say individual, Pastor Matt, Pastor Nath, pa uh, Papa John, Brother Phil, uh, but it doesn't have Brother Eric on there, but we'll add him in, okay? Um, and so the question is, if you, and please guys, just rapid fire hit this, if you were on, if you were to travel, would you travel on a plane, a boat, or a car, where, why, with whom, and to what events? <laughs> That's like 12 questions in one, but go. If you could go anywhere, Anyway, submarine to Antarctica by myself. <laughs> um, rocket ship with Elon Musk to Mars. Woo! I'd go for it. Okay. <laughs> Chris Brown in a GM with Braxton. <laughs> And for me, I want the slow boat going to a remote tropical island with my wife. Uh, every, everybody just say, oh. <laughs> Theological question. Anybody can answer this, and I don't think we need to have more than one or two. Uh, who were Job's parents? Mr. and Mrs. Job. <laughs> yeah. The Bible doesn't say. We don't know. We don't know. All right, this question is uh, some advice on how I can start if I want to be a missionary. Pray. Pray. I said pray. Know God. Be a good missionary. God is to help other people know God. If you don't know God well, how will you know Him? Mm. The uh, temporary scripture reading and being faithful every time you can be involved in anything in church, in youth. Right. There's no part time missionary. Mm. Full time. Flat out. All in. For Papa John and uh, Mr. Thiel, 
what was it like being a Christian during your time in the military? I think he's going to say it, Martin. I don't need to say it. <laughs> and I got put into the same category as him. Congratulations. Do you want to go first? my testimony from my military time was the same as Papa John's. I found it very difficult as a young person, and to be honest with you, my walk with God suffered because I put my military career above my relationship with God, and the impact of that was that my testimony wasn't clear. Uh, Papa John's testimony was clear, my testimony wasn't clear. It doesn't matter what your vocation is, though, whether it's military, whether it's you're a doctor, whether it's a school teacher, it, it's the same. You still have to have a clear testimony. You still have to live for Christ in order for that to, to shine forth. doesn't matter if it's the military or not. And I didn't do that. Uh, this question, I think, can be directed towards Nate because he, spe- he spoke on this this morning. Uh, so you, you made the statement that uh, Christianity is not karma. Mm. And the question comes in, uh, can you explain a little bit what karma is? Yeah, yeah. The word karma is a religious word used around the world, um, particularly of (laughs) religions that come from Asia um, and South Asia, the country of India. Um, And the idea there is if you live a good life, then good things happen to you. Um, That's karma. If you live a bad life, then bad things happen to you. That builds into their entire religious system, even of the afterlife, or what they would call the next life, reincarnation. And so if you live a good life now, then when you come back in a next life, as they believe in their false religion, they would say you come back in a worse state, a more miserable condition, um, because of karma, is this idea. Um, That has nothing to do with the scriptures. Mm. That isn't true. That isn't how the world actually works. That was somebody a long time ago trying to figure out how the world works. And it may have been somebody like the three men we read about in Job's story. Just a man who was considered wise by the people around him, but didn't actually know God or God's truth. And so he got it wrong. So the word is karma, and it just means the idea of bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. We find something different in the scriptures. I'm going to read the question, and I'll let you guys take it and address it how you feel fit. Uh, the, the question, I'll just read it. How can we accept all the good things that God gives us and not accept the problems? 
we accept all the good things that God gives us and not accept the problems. I think um, if our focus is on the thing that is given, then we will get it wrong. Um, we need to focus more on who is given that. So if the good comes, we thank God for the good. It's God. Our focus is on God, not the good. But because the good is given, we thank God. If the bad comes, we still thank God, and we learn and know him more and better through that event, whatever it may be. So the focus has to be on the one that gives life to us. I think there's, Paul makes a statement in Philippians 4.11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, I have learned whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Mm. It's not about the good things and the bad things and accepting, it's understanding that I'm content in where God has placed me, I'm content in what God is doing in my life, I'm content in the the work that he is doing within me. And as you look back across Paul's life, he had to learn that. The, the key word in that verse is, I have learned. You don't just get born with contentment. You might see a, a baby, you know those babies that just look like they're perfect and happy and they just watch the world? No one's born content. We have to learn to be content. So no matter whether it's rough things that are happening in our lives, hard things that are happening in our lives, or if it's good things that are happening in our lives and we're progressing and, and things are happening that are fantastic, we have to learn to be content in God and that what he is doing is growing and developing my character as a believer and that I can trust him and I can be content in him. Not in the, the stuff not in the events, but I'm content in God. And then we can learn to accept either one. Uh, here's some rapid-fire questions, all right? So we're just going to go right down the list, all right? I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out. We've got one, two, three, four rapid-fire questions, and just go right down the list, all right? What's your favorite food? <laughs> Easy question. Tacos. Burritos. I don't have one. You don't have a favorite. I don't have a favorite food. If I have to pick something, donuts. <laughs> yeah. 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 countries you've visited, which country did you enjoy the most? <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand? Uh, definitely Papua New Guinea. Let me think, which countries did I go to? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a movie called Life is Beautiful. It is uh, uh, just a beautiful story. Yeah. Makes my kids cry when they watch it. What's that? Air Force One. Air Force One. Anything that has to do with Denzel Washington. I'll be transparent on that. I'm not a movie guy. I, no. and Phil knows it. I think this is Phil's problem too. We both have the same problem. We tend to fall asleep in the movies. Um, so I have been to Vision City and paid to go into the theater many times. Um, and I've enjoyed the dark room and the nice padded chair. And, and the occasional aircon. Right. And aircon sometimes, that's right. <laughs> Favorite drink? Coffee. Black. As black as it can be. Feel like three in one in a booth. <laughs> <laughs> loves three in one. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you, black coffee. Um, I love solo. Neville your coffee. That's a good one. <laughs> like Paul said, I am in a straight betwixt two. <laughs> Between Coke and coffee. <laughs> about Job um, why did the Bible only mention the names of Job's three friends but not the name of his wife I don't think the, I don't think the Bible tells us why it didn't do that um, the one thing that is unique is his friends were well-known historical figures. And so they wanted to show you that these wise men from these far countries, yeah. um, even the places they're mentioned are mentioned again in the scriptures. Um, and they're mentioned for some of their wisdom from those countries. Um, and so it seems like that was the priority of the story was to tell you that wise people tried to offer their best opinions as to what was happening in Job's life. And so her name isn't there. And at the beginning of the story, his children's names aren't there. So, I, I've got a, uh, and I think this 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 gives an opportunity. What you guys don't get to see is us sitting around a table, talking in depth about things like this. And so I, I'm I'm just going to take a minute and let you guys have a glimpse in as we talk this out. Okay, uh, an added aspect that I see in this in this question, um, Job's wife. It doesn't say she walked away from God although you, could, you can infer that, I see God took everything away from him, including his wife's support, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. And yet, at the end, he gains everything, including his wife's support. That's right. And his children, he has children again at the end. That's his wife being a part of his life. Right. And, and as God redeems his story at the end, makes his story a beautiful thing. Um, we never have an opportunity to look down on her mm. with complete disdain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her name, yes, her actions are tainted, but her name is not. Mm. Yeah. Um, just the, uh, scripture doesn't say that, but I just see that. Mm. I, I don't know if that. No, I, I agree. There's a significant character in the Bible that they're not supposed to 
I, I, I agree. I agree with um, other parts there. I lean more <coughs> towards um, Bernays, where um, each character that is that is on the scene at that point of time, and how God deals with that particular character. Um, in God's wisdom, God hides one and puts one place clear. Um, for the purposes of um, those that have been placed clear, say those three friends that could have meant a lot with the people that are reading the scriptures or uh, the notes at that particular time and the effect of God's will so to speak you know, would have been more effective at that point uh, I'm, I'm sure it, it is here in, in, our, in our setting, but at that particular point, those who were reading those scriptures, it would have meant a whole lot more that these three men who were so knowledgeable, so wise, so rich, and they were job friends, were giving him bad influence. And uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm along those lines. I'd like to just give Nate an opportunity to speak into something that we talked about a few days ago regarding uh, the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis. Um, and, and I kind of want to just, from what Brother Eric's mentioning, you think think of the formation of scriptures mm. and, and where does it come from? Uh, and, and you think about, okay, Moses wrote Genesis long after my off 2,000 years, roughly 2,000 years from the creation until Moses, that's a long time. And, I mean, we think about, could you imagine somebody now writing about Jesus' life? You weren't there. Mm. Um, and, and obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but um, Nate, Nate shared an, an interesting thought. Nate, I'll let you talk about that for a minute if you want. Yeah, so... When you think about the Hebrews and the Jews, um, they're in Egypt as slaves. Um, and you read that story, that's about 1,500 B.C. Prior to that, even the fathers that you read about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's no indication that any of those men or women were able to write, that they were ever trained to write. So it seems perhaps that the very first literate writing Hebrew was a man named Moses. And that's because Moses has a unique story 
where he's taken from a slave group and put into the palace of a king where he will learn how to write. They will teach the king's children and any of the priests and their children how to write in that culture. So that perhaps the very reason why Moses is writing down the first five books of the Bible and even able to write is because of that part of the story where it says he ends up in Pharaoh's house and is raised by Pharaoh's daughter. So now he has the ability to write and the Holy Spirit will use that so he will write the first five books of the Bible. What's interesting is how will a guy like Moses know the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis, which is the stories of creation all the way through the stories of the fathers. Joseph, the ending character in the book of Genesis, lived 400 years before Moses. So how will Moses know those stories? Well, if you know the story of Moses, how might Moses have known those stories? His mother taught him that part of the story is we'll have a Hebrew midwife or maid come and raise him, which happened to be his mother. And I picture, many have said as they read Genesis 1 through 11, that it seems to, especially Genesis 1 through 6, sound like a song. As I read it, with all those names and lists of names, I picture a little baby boy Moses being raised by an illiterate mother who sings to him the creation song, who tells him the stories of her people, who tells of the fathers who had covenant with God, who God made promises through the offering of Isaac, a son, she sings to him the stories of the names and lineages that are his ancestry. And on the day where God finally calls Moses, it seems like he's roughly 80 years old. Old man Moses with a pen is going to go, time to take mom's old songs, time to take mom's old stories, and now the revelation of God in Exodus that he lived himself, and then Leviticus and Numbers, let's put these down on page. That God seems to be at work in what seems like pretty terrible instances where a child is taken from his family and raised by another. God's at work behind the scenes, weaving a story so that he can be able to record for us what we would call our Pentateuch. So, yeah. So to come back to Job, uh, the question is written, did Job do any sin? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah. And Job was a sinner, just like you and me. It says he hated evil, though. So it was clear in Job's heart and his life that his love for God was primary in his decision-making. 
So Job wasn't a loose living, vile person. Job was perhaps the most careful of followers of God in his day. Very intentional, we even see in the intentionality of his sacrifices. So that, again, as God had made provision, if you did sin, come and make a sacrifice that the substitute might take the place of your sin. So Job's making sacrifices would indicate, yeah, Job understood that he was a sinner and he's making sacrifices. And he's even making sacrifices for his kids' sins, it seems like. Sorry, I want you to take note is Job's not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. Job's a Gentile. We're going to skip chapel tomorrow morning now. No. <laughs> no, we're not. Good. I, I, I think it's important, too, if I can compare the words, he hated evil, he eschewed evil. Mm. He was a righteous man. We know that he was still sinful. I think that that well describes a, a, the way that a believer should be in his own sanctification. Mm. Doing everything he can to sin less and hate sin more. Mm. And, and young people, the, you will not stop sinning until you go, go to be with Jesus yeah. and receive a glorified body. But I do want to give you some hope. You can sin a lot less. Mm. You can. And you can hate sin a lot more. Yeah. And the longer you are a believer and the more sanctified you become, the more you'll love Jesus and you'll, the more you'll hate your sin. Mm. And because of that, the less you'll sin. And the more you'll look for things like pride that need to be rooted out. And you'll hate those <coughs> lesser sins as much as you hate the bigger sins. This question goes to Papa John. And actually, I have to apologize because I think this is the second or third time I've seen this question and somehow it just keeps getting missed. And so whoever it is that has asked this question multiple times, thank you for being persistent and making sure that we ask it. <laughs> it is highlighted in green to Papa John. I don't know if it's a red one trying to act like a green or if it's a green showing their true colors for Papa John. And it says, please answer. Here we come. All right. In the Bible, it states that all men originate from Adam and Eve who only had two sons. 
how is it that man came to be if Adam and Eve only had two sons? Thank you. days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, which would be the third son, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So that's in Genesis 5, verse 4. Pastor Nath, what do you love about Port Moresby? The most lovely thing is it isn't the cucumber. Cucumber's good, though. (laughs) I have to speak highly of the cucumber with with Maggie. With with Maggie. Mm, mm. But that's not it. The the most beautiful thing here is the people. Um, Anyway, you go. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Pastor Nate, in case you're curious, it doesn't end with an H, it ends with an E. So N-A-T-E, or if you spell it out the whole way, N-A-T-H-A-N, all right? So it's Nathan or Nate with an E. Um, I don't know why that is, but it is. He's my little brother, so I get to to make those rules. Uh, So for Pastor Nate, how does it feel to be the youngest in the family? Um, being the youngest has been a blessing of God for me. Um, to have older siblings who walk with God has been an exponential blessing for me. It's even more of a blessing. Um, along the way, my entire life story has been shaped by what my older siblings have done, and I've found their stories to be compelling, to be encouraging. Um, there have been jobs that I've been able to get because my older brother's had those jobs before, Um, and so I always knew that my parents were easier on me than they were strict on my older brothers. It's true. It really, it really is fantastic being the youngest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This one comes my way. I'll go ahead and answer it. Dear Pastor Matt, how does it feel being the oldest in the family? It's like royalty. I mean, yeah, mom and dad were stricter on me than they were on, on Nate, but um, I got to, I, I, I had a car, I got a car uh, when I was 16 years old, <laughs> and I got my driver's license, and uh, I, I, I did, went and did a job with that car, and I took Nate along, he was a little tight, and he would, he would ride around in the car with me. I will not tell you any more stories about driving that car, because I'm afraid one day you'll be driving the car. Uh, and we did a lot of we, we we did a lot of things together. Um, I went off to uni uh, when I was 18, and Nate was maybe 12 at that time, and uh, the the other two brothers between us. And uh, and so when I went off to uni, I, that was kind of I went away, and then I went away. If that makes sense, um, I went away five years of uni. And by the time I got done with five years of uni, I was married with two children. 
um, things went very fast in, in my life. And then from there, uh, we came to be missionaries in Papua New Guinea. So my, uh, really, my time with, with that nuclear family uh, was over when I, when I turned 18. Um, but I had great memories of good times together with my family, uh, my, my mom and dad, and my brothers. And uh, when I left, it's my understanding, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard from mom that the day I left to go off to uni- university, that you went and sat on my bed and cried. Is that correct? <laughs> I've never asked him in Tears person. Of so. Tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> I finally get the big <laughs> No, I did. I cried and cried. I was going to miss him because I had two brothers in between us who would beat me up. <laughs> and he would always step in and stop it. And now I knew I was about to get pounded. So, yeah. I don't know why. I always had an affinity for Nate. I think it had a lot to do with the red hair. Both of us were redheaded. Um, mine has darkened up much over the years. Um, but uh, we, were, we were very similar in that. <laughs> Some of it has darkened up. Yeah. Hey, careful. Shine on, brother. (laughs) 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 But uh, there there was always something special between Nate and I. And and Dave and Ben, they were were buddies together. Nate and I were buddies together. Um, We could tell all kinds of stories with this guy. Uh, (laughs) Brother Phil, what's your favorite sport? Do you have a favorite sport? Growing up, it was soccer. And Papa John, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Brother Eric, they didn't have one for you, so I just picked this one, okay? If you were a superhero, which superhero would you be? Superhero. When I was growing up, the first superhero that I saw is the one that lifted up a, 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 a vehicle and his mom or dad was underneath, Superman. I think you look like Superman. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming back to Job again. In Job 3, verse 1, it says, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. What does that mean? Does it mean cursed his day? Um, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You said it, Julian. Um, Job cursed. He didn't curse God. That was Satan's accusation, is Job will curse God. Job 3 he opened his mouth and cursed his day. It goes on after that. It says, And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let light shine upon it. Let darkness and shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell on it. it for him, he goes, The life I have now is so hard that the day that used to be rejoicing, there's a baby. 
He goes, if they knew what my life looked like right now, they would not rejoice. Mm-hmm. He's describing how terrible it's gone, that there wouldn't be a baby celebration, there'd be a grieving to say, the day's going to come. And so what he's saying is, that's what the day of my birth is about, is not celebration, but grief, because look where my life has ended. Um, I, I'm going to pass this question down to Brother Eric, because I think you're going to be able to see what the context where this is coming from. Uh, is it a sin to have many friends? Is it a sin to have many friends? I think um, he that had friends, I'm not sure he was himself friendly. Um, I don't think it is a sin to have many friends. But as a young person, you need to choose your friends wisely. Someone wise said this way, show me your friends and I will tell you who you are. So your friends determine who you are. In other words, the more or the, the more you rub with a particular crowd, the more you will look like that crowd. Um, not the green crowd or the red crowd, but, but um, you you walk around with those that smoke and cuss and drink alcohol, you will find yourself being tempted to join them and you will eventually join them. Mm-hmm. So no, you can have as many friends as you want, as you like. But yes, choose your friends wisely. Any of you guys want to add anything? Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, Jesus says. And he's got a stack of 12 people in front of him, plus some. So the number isn't the concern. And it's actually a lot of the question is, how will you love your friends um, is the big question that Jesus points out. So. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, say something about what Brother Eric said. He, sa- he mentioned uh, hanging out with people whose language would be not pleasing to the Lord. And I think that it would be good for all of us to think about our language and whether the things that I say are pleasing to the Lord. Mm. There's ways that you can speak that are vulgar, swearing, perhaps using words one way, but they have a different meaning. There are ways that we can speak that would not be pleasing to the Lord. And there's a verse that says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my Redeemer. He's the one that changes me. And so because I'm changed, these words of my mouth need to reflect that. And so I won't be looking for ways to twist things people say to try to make them mean something else. And I'll be watching for ways instead with my words to be lifting up people, not tearing down people. And I think that it's important for us to to think about that. We haven't really talked about that in camp this year. Um, But I think it's important for us to think about how am I speaking that in a way that's lifting up others and and doing it in a godly way. New question. Can someone go to hell because he sinned before the rapture? Everybody's going to sin before the rapture. 
sending people go to hell, they're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Um, the only people who will be in heaven are those who put their faith in the saving work of Jesus, not those who are sinless. Um, and so, again, yeah, everybody is going to sin, and they'll all need an advocate named Jesus on their side. And so if you've turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, then heaven is for you. Which I think is a great place to come into this question. Why did Jesus take our place and die for us? That's a great question. Why did Jesus take our place and die for us? Um, all throughout the history of humankind, um, man wanted to do right, wanted to be right with God, and they did their own way to be right with God, but God never accepted. Um, God gave a way, and there is one way, that is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way that man can go to him, to God, through Christ. And those that believe in him get second of life. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the life. No man, that man, woman, boy, girl, no man can go to the Father except through me. So God gave that way for man to have life. questions here that are related to uh, okay now we, we know what we believe and okay how do I bring this into my life and so I, I'm just going to walk through these uh, how can we deal with hatred anger and murderous and I think this is uh, the hatred in other words people who are filled with hatred people who are filled with anger perhaps even they're murderous how do we deal with that So how can we deal with people that are? Yeah. Okay. There's a, a follow-on to this. Maybe it, it'll help to develop this thought. How can we love our enemies and fight hypocrisy in our own hearts? think that all of the Christian life is looking to Jesus. Mm. Um, and so if you're a follower of Jesus, you look at Jesus. And in Jesus, you find what that would look like. Um, were there those who hated Jesus? And were there those who were violent against Jesus and even murdered Jesus? Jesus, in his very clear teachings, he tells you to love your enemies. And you say, how do I do that? I would say, Look at Jesus. Jesus says, if they smite you on the face, what do you do? Turn to them the other cheek also, right? Mm -hmm. When they smote Jesus on the face, what did he do? Did he swing back? No. When they take from you your cloak, what should you do? Offer them your shirt also. What do they take from Jesus? The very clothes off of his back. They compel you to walk a mile. What do you do? Go a second mile with them. 
What did they compel Jesus to do? To pick up his cross and head down the road to be executed. When I look at Jesus as he loves his enemies, Jesus is willing to offer himself, offer his own possessions, offer his own safety at times, even to make sure that those who have needs, those needs are met. When I look at Jesus and he says, love your enemies, he doesn't call us to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. And so with a heavy heart, sometimes with a little bit of fear in our eyes, we say, I'll choose to love them. And what does he say to do for your enemies? Pray for them. As Jesus dies and they finally nailed his feet down, he can't walk anywhere anymore. And they nail his hands down, he can't touch them, he can't hand them food to eat. What does he have left? His mouth. And so what does he do? He prays for them. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And so how do you love your enemies? How do you love those who are evil? Look at Jesus and ask Jesus for help and then pray for those around you because you're not going to rescue them from their sin. Only Jesus can. And so I pray, Father, do a work in them that they might be rescued from their sin. I can't rescue them. I can't change them. But I'm convinced you can. Help my parents. Help my peers. Help my schoolmates. Help my teachers. Help my coaches. Help those people. God, rescue them from their sins. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who in his home, some rascals came in to attack him and his family. They struck him in the head. He fell to the ground there in front of his wife and his children. His son, his oldest son, was nine years old. As the family was threatened with guns, we're going to take all of your belongings. This friend there in Africa, his oldest son said, Father, please save these men from their sin and began crying out to God that he would rescue these men who were there in his home to rob them. That's what Jesus is talking about. You pray for those who would do evil to you, that God might change their hearts. That's what you do. I think that there's a number of other questions that fall in that same light, and I think so we'll just stay here for a moment. Somebody writes like this. It's written that we must love our neighbors as we love ourselves, but in my case, the neighbor doesn't love me. How do I love my neighbor when they don't love me? What should I do? And I think the answer falls right here. Yeah. Um, another one, very similar. Uh, how do you deal with unbelieving relatives? The answer is right here. Um, how do you have patience with people when they talk bad about you? Uh, right here. I, I see it over and over. We want to go the way of the flesh. Mm. The way that the old man wants to go is, you strike me, I strike you back. That's the way that the flesh wants to work. And Jesus taught the other way. When I strike you, you turn the other cheek. Romans twelve nineteen. If you've been here at our church, you've heard me quote it many times. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't take the vengeance out yourself. God has put government in place to prosecute. That's the rightful way to go about it. You don't take up the sword and go take care of things yourself. Mm. 
You don't have the right to do that. I'll give an example from our ministry here, and this is, I think, with the exception of Nate, the rest of my brothers are, were, have been a part of this. Several years ago, we had someone who was very aggressive about trying to stop our ministry. Everything he could do to try to stop our ministry. And I'll be honest with you, in my flesh, I hated that man. If you said his name, my stomach would, would churn. I hated him. And one day, Brother Phil sat down with me in my office, uh, in, in the front office, mm. and with tears, he said, you're not following what Jesus says. I'm his pastor. So I'm telling him, hey, listen to me. I lead this church. He said, what you're doing isn't biblical. And it wasn't something that had been drawn out. He just saw the way that you're acting is not right. And he brought to mind, here's what the scripture says. And I went, oh, man. You know, sometimes it's good to have godly friends who will point you in the right direction. I wasn't steeped in sin. I wasn't calling on somebody to go shoot that guy. <laughs> I wasn't calling for an assassin. I just hated him. Hmm. But I'm supposed to be loving him. And that morning, my prayer for that guy changed. My prayer changed, God, would you save his soul? Because I realized that if this guy gets saved, his whole life is going to be different. And the way he treats us is going to be totally different. And I wish I could tell you that God saved him. To my knowledge, he hasn't gotten saved. But where is he now? I have no idea. You're not giving us any trouble anymore. Maybe he'll come back tomorrow. I don't know. But God totally changed my outlook on him. Instead of me wanting to see him go and get his own, instead I want to see him get saved and, and become a brother in Christ. And Christ calls on us to live differently as Christians. And so this is things that when we say them from the Bible, we have to take those and put those into, into living. And sometimes it's difficult to put them into living. But we don't get to say, well, that's the Bible and this is the way we live. The gospel changes our life. Mm. Yeah. So what we read in the word is how we live. Thank you, guys. Some of you would have heard me say this. Love God most so that you can love others best. Mm. The greatest way that I can love my wife, the greatest way that I can love my neighbor who hates me, the greatest way that I can love you is by loving God most. How can we learn more of God and more of his character? I think a good start point, and it was either Papa John or, um, I can't remember his name now. Anyway, it was a, missionary, another missionary, very old man, I can't remember his name, good friend of mine, um, obviously. I, he said to me a very similar thing. He said, you want to learn how God describes himself. Mm. Look at the names of God. Because that's where God describes himself through his word. 
and we see the characteristics of God come out in the names that he calls himself. If you want to learn that, go back to the Bible and study those names. Um, you what Barfield said. When God um, created Adam and Eve, they knew him as Yahweh, as, as the creator God. And as they progressed, God slowly revealed himself more. And they knew God's name and character as they went. And as, as you read the Bible and the Bible progresses, you'll find that as God goes with his relationship towards those whom he um, sends out to be his people in, on the earth, uh, say Noah and all those guys, he reveals himself more and more and more through his names. And the names we read, we read in the Old Testament coming down. So... All those names, as Barfield said, is God revealing himself to those at that point of time. So once we start reading those names, we check out, what does this name mean? Well, why did God reveal himself this way with this name during this point of time? And once we get to you know that and understand that, we'll find out more about who God is and what his characteristics are and why he is saying his name is this, because... We, we will search those as we track his name down in all. all. So when it came, come, came to Abraham, he said, I am that I am. You know. mm -hmm. uh, uh, Moses, when he said, I am that I am. I am. I am God. I am God. So, yeah. That's me. Uh, how can a leader help another Christian brother who's immature? How can I help him to grow into maturity? The more time you spend with that individual, the more that they, if you're walking with Christ, the more they see Christ. Time is the greatest gift that you can give somebody else that is trying to, to grow and to learn. One of you hold in Ray Ortland's quote. Is it coming to mind right now? He mm -hmm. said time has yeah. uh, gospel sufficient time. I, I'm, I'm, I'm failing to remember it. Do you, do you know it? Um, it is a gospel culture is gospel plus patience plus time. And so you believe the truth of the gospel and you have a lot of patience with the person. Hmm. And love is patient yeah. mm -hmm. is the way that it's said in First Corinthians 13. And so you don't try to rush their growth. Nobody plants a seed and yells at the dirt. <laughs> you, you wait. And if you wait for spiritual growth, the same thing. And as Phil says, time, I just picture our Lord Jesus, and he has 12 men that he will train. And what will he do? He'll spend all day, every day. He'll spend years. He, he was the best at this. Do you think you would do it any quicker? And so he takes years with these men and gives them time. And so, yeah, gospel plus patience plus time.
This question has quite a bit of a lead in, so I'll just read it as it is. God loves us so much. He gives everything, uh, loves us so much that everything that he does for us, he goes the extra mile. Food, water, shelter, air that we breathe, clothes, friends, family, teachers, church, most important, his son, Jesus, who died for our sins. I'm taught that I have to show love like God by living right and kindness and putting God and others uh, first than me. I want to go the extra mile and help in ministry, but I'm young, and I don't know where to start. Do you have any advice on how and where I can start with my involvement in serving in ministry? I guess the start point I would say is don't wait for someone to ask you. Mm. Look for opportunities. Maybe it's cleaning the bathrooms. Maybe it's sweeping in here look for opportunities to serve amen and you those opportunities will increase amen start point is looking for opportunities and you need to also be growing in your knowledge of the word of god growing in your knowledge of the people around you growing in your your relationship with god i would also add as we in pastoral leadership are looking at who is doing what in the church, one of the things that we notice the biggest is attendance. Yeah, consistency, yeah. If somebody is consistently, we know they're going to be here on Sunday, there's no question about it, we know that God's done a work in their life and things are happening. But if they're here sometimes and not sometimes, and here sometimes we're thankful to see them, but we're not really dependent on them. Mm. And then we're not going to ask them to do anything because we don't know if they'll be here to do anything. And so I think that that's something that you make Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 25, a part of your life. I'm just not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Some do that. That's the manner of some, but not me. And I jokingly say this. Could you imagine if I, as pastor, just decided I'm not going to come sometimes? Good luck. Somebody's got the sermon this week. <laughs> Have a good time. I'm out. And I know I say that jokingly, but even though you're not the pastor, I would hope that you find, mm. oh, this is the place where God's people are coming Amen. together. Amen. And I want to be with his people. And so uh, let me encourage you there. I have, I, because we're out of time, I have one question that came in. It was addressed to me, and I'm gonna, I'll just answer it, and I'm going to ask for counselors to help me with this on your debrief tomorrow. Um, it says, I ask politely, thank you politely, that we can either have heavier curtains in the showers or just doors. So you're welcome. I don't know who it was that wrote it. Uh, so the answer is yes. I will do my best to try to make that happen. Um, I, I, I don't do a shower there, so you're welcome, all right? <laughs> who, who remembers the first showers we had? <laughs> yeah, who remembers the first showers? Actually, Boy. We were, Scotty and I were talking, it was it last night at dinner? How many people here were in the original camp? Stan, I think it's Stan, Scott, how, many, how many of you were Scott, here for our first Janelle, camp? Acacia? 
If you were here for first camp, stand up. We want to see you. First camp. No, no, no. no. The very first one, 2017. 2017 And they've been here for every camp, mind you. Yeah. There you go. One, two, three. Wow. That's good. 2017 to now. And in 2017, a lot of you guys were, whoo, who was five years old? Is that about right? (laughs) Uh, So we've come a long way. Uh, If you you wouldn't remember because you weren't here, the original camp, the original showers were just scaffolds that we had pulled plastic around, and then the wind ripped the plastic (laughs) right off. It was terrible, and, and every day when it was camp time, we'd try to pull that, pull that. Yep. And it was a, it was a drum around. with yeah. a scoop, and that That's was right. how you had to. That's right, and and, and, the, and the counselors come through. Mr. Eric was a counselor that year, yep. uh, and Miss Malone was a counselor that year. Um, all Those. of us have gotten older, right? <laughs> so, uh, guys, it's been it's been enjoyable. Thank you for the questions that you wrote. Thank you to our panel. Uh, very thankful for the input that you guys have provided. I'll pray for us, and then I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Braxton. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to spend time together with these young people, w- walking through some of these questions coming from their heart. And I thank you that you uh, give us answers. We thank you for the answers that come from your word. Uh, and we thank you that you give wisdom and a multitude of counselors. Thank you for the young people that are here this week, the counselors that are shaping lives. And I pray that you would bless as we move from this into the next aspect of our camp today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mr. Braxton.